page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Page Fright. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench, and this, of course, is the only literary podcast on the internet that I host. I am very excited to today have gotten a guest on the show I've wanted to have on the show for quite a while, since I began the show, and it only took 48 episodes to get, <laughs> to, to get him here. Uh, I, I'm so excited to have had the chance to talk to Cole Nowicki. Uh, Cole is one of my favorite, uh, I guess, like, creators is the way to describe him, uh, organizers, and writers as well. Uh, I'm so excited to have had the chance to chat with him about everything that he does, but specifically today, we're talking about a small anthology that is out now with Fine Press, which is an extension of the interdisciplinary event Fine, and of course, the collection is called A Fine Collection, Volume 1. There's some really cool work from some really great people in there, people who have been on this show before, uh, with whom I've had some great conversations and experiences, and uh, it was just really nice to chat to Cole about organizing things, creating a space, um, and specifically a print space where art can flourish. Um, if you're wondering who Cole is, Cole Nowicki is a writer, producer, and publisher based in Vancouver, BC. His work has appeared in The Walrus, Maison Neuve, McSweeney's, Vice, and more. He also produces, hosts, and publishes the interdisciplinary event Fine and its print extension Fine Press. That was the bio that Cole sent, but again, I need to, f or at least I feel like I need to add that Fine, this interdisciplinary event that I've been talking about, was one of my favorite literary things that happens. Uh, I think in the world, because I don't know much about it, but I, I think in the world, because my experience has been mainly based in Vancouver, and at least in Vancouver, uh, and indeed when I lived in Ontario as well, I've never seen anything like it. It was just so cool to go and check out, and uh, Cole, if you're listening to this, I really miss the show, um, so uh, hopefully we can all get back in one space again at some point, um, hopefully soon. But until then, we have things like a fine collection to bring us together. And indeed, this interview, it was really nice to track Cole down and get him on the show. Uh, so I'm very excited to share this with you. Here I am chatting with Cole Nowicki. Today, I am very excited to have one of my favorite community organizers and a tremendous writer in his own right, Cole Nowicki on the podcast. Cole, how's it going? Andrew, thank you very much for having me. It's going well. I'm so glad. Um, we first sort of chatted, I guess, what would have been <laughs> what feels like not this long ago, but probably two years ago um, or something like that. And I was new to Vancouver and you were incredibly kind in helping me kind of situate myself and my writing. Um, and I am very thankful for that and, and so excited that now 
Um, obviously unfortunate for the world to be going through a pandemic, but a lovely product of the pandemic is a fine press. If you don't know Cole, he is, as you will have heard in a biography in the intro, the organizer of Fine, which was, uh, and I guess will hopefully be again, um, a series of live shows featuring music, reading, comedy, um, all of that good stuff. I'm really explaining your own thing for you here, Cole. Do you want to jump in and, and say a little bit about uh, about what you've been organizing and what this press and book are? No, no, that was great. That was better than I would have done it. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so with, you know, on, just to jump back a bit, has it already been two years since we met up at the Lido? Holy moly. I think it might have been, yeah. It's been a while for sure. Wow, time fluid strange thing um <laughs> yeah so i guess as a result of the pandemic and the live show of fine having to to go on hiatus until you know safe to do so again um i had had an idea in the back of my mind to start some sort of printing arm of fine itself but uh without having without the ability to be able to do a live show that kind of expedited that process and from that came fine press and uh the release that made the most sense to to do right off the bat was a uh sort of a, an anthology of folks who've previously been on the live show in the past which is a fine collection volume one and it is such a cool collection um before we get too far into our interview i'm going to cut to a guest reading kind of um that is from your launch and it is friend of the show adele barclay uh, who I am so excited to have reading on the show again, even though it's not live. Um, let's listen into a poem from A Fine Collection, Volume 1. Uh, this is, let me see if I can find the title here. I should have had it written down. While Everyone Went Camping. Of course. While Everyone Went Camping by Adele Barkley. Here's Adele. While Everyone Went Camping. You build an altar to Jeff Buckley. We survey the coming tugboat and its undertow. I lie on the floor beside a bed that rocks you with waves of vertigo. We listen to audiobook Anthony Bourdain tear into medium rare sarcasm. He knows how to see the world and cook a bloody steak. I know my time with you is even more finite mother of pearl sanded to silt. Everyone tells me to stop anticipating the worst, but they haven't camped on the shores of this river or seen the wolves circling our wounds, fished a drowned fox pup out of the belly of a bear they have had to call home. Wow, what a reading. <laughs> so much fun to, to listen to that. Um, I will have edited that in for Cole and I. It was an awkward five-second pause. Um, Cole, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, hey, it was a great pause. I, I love a good pause. Um, but it's so cool to uh, see, you know, a lot of the people, I think this is where I'll start, is a lot of the people I've had on this show, especially when I was recording face-to-face, um, were, of course, from Vancouver. And... A lot of them I first saw at your shows. 
Um, so Adele's a great example of that, who I, I then, you know, got to know Adele and she's been on the podcast. You could listen to her episode from, and I'm scared to think about how long ago it was, but I think about a year ago now, um, talking about her book of poetry, Renaissance Normcore. Um, but it's, it's just, you created a show here that I think means a lot to the Vancouver sort of writing community and all of us isolated people who are trying to write and trying to find a place to share and hear um, work that's being created. And this was a big starting place for me. Um, when did you first start the show and kind of what went into that idea? Uh, Fine first started, the first show itself was January of 2017. Uh, and the show itself was sort of kind of born out of the what you were just talking about. I didn't really know what to do with my own creative energies. I had been writing, but I wasn't really involved in any writing communities to any extent. And, you know, big fan of stand-up comedy. I tried that out for a while. Um, and I just had an idea that I wanted to try and just mash them all together, see if it would work. And uh, thankfully, the, the Lido, which is the venue that hosts the show, they were receptive to the idea um, when I just kind of cold called, cold called them, which was uh, which was nice and forced me to to figure out more of a solid game plan of what the show would be itself, <laughs> and uh, then had one and it just went from there. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. So I guess it is now. We are recording in January. I think this will be out in February, early February. This episode, but we're recording in what will be, I guess, your fourth. Uh, fourth anniversary of this show existing and now of course it is a press and an anthology um, a really cool anthology that we haven't really touched too much on yet but is a mix of poetry um, and we've got some fiction in here we even have some music and some visual art um, it's a really cool fun collection um, of you know work that uh, comes from people who I really really love um, what went into assembling the collection and how was that different from setting up your average fine show? Yeah, it it was a bit of a difficult process because, I mean, thankfully, there's been a lot of people who've been on the show in the past, but I had to, to look at this list of folks um, and sort of decide. Because um, I, I think going forward, I think there's probably we could probably do another one or two of these things just considering all the people that have been on the show in the past and assuming that the show will continue. Um, but I had to look at this list of folks and sort of narrow down how I, I thought, uh, and not to abuse the colloquialism too hard, but how I thought the vibes would work together <laughs> between the work. work. Um, so I just sort of selected a, a number of folks and then reached out. And thankfully most of them said they're into it. And, uh, Hopefully I'm not going on too big of a tangent here, but um, it was a bit of an interesting process because I wanted to be able to include uh, musicians and visual artists, um, mm -hmm. which the visual artist part can be covered pretty easily within a book, but the musician part could not. Um, so I had to, to figure out a way to get through that. And then I had, which is having um, visual artists visually interpret songs from music acts that have been on the show in the past. Um, 
yeah, I feel like I'm rambling here. So stop me whenever. No, no. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the end of my, my thought process there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's very different. I imagine to put together like a physical object um, compared to putting together an event. Um, and especially when you've had so many people, you know, on the show in the past few years, I can only imagine kind of curating a collection like this would be a really difficult task. Um, and yeah, I mean, it sounds for sure you use the word colloquial there, but like getting the vibe right has to be a very, very difficult task. Um, and so I was so, so, so excited to pick up this book and just see kind of where you went with it. And I was blown away. I mean, poetry is my thing and and fiction is something I try to read every now and then. If you look at the, you know, amount of people I've interviewed on the show, you'll know that. Um, but reading some of the fiction in here too really blew my mind. Um, there was one story that stood out to me in particular that I feel the need to shout the author out. Um, I'm just flipping through my collection here. It's To the Spin Class Instructors by Kate Black. Mm-hmm. So sick. Uh, just such a cool story. Um, and like a really, really interesting form too, because it's like, uh, epistolary, it's a letter and, you know, we're breaking it down like that. Um, but so, so cool. It's such a, a vast range of different things in this little collection, um, that, you know, this isn't even a question. I'm just saying it's, (laughs) it was really cool to read as a reader. Uh, and I loved it. Um, maybe because I don't have a question right now, I can lay, uh, you know, I can kind of trust in my last guest to provide us with a question here. Yeah. Uh, Cole, completely unrelated to what we're talking about, or maybe semi-related. If you could date a poem, which poem would it be and why? Romantically? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I'm turning around. I'm turning around to look at, I have to move the microphone with me to turn around and look at my bookshelf right now. Holy moly. I am the first book that pops out to me is a collection from Ariana Rhines, which I don't know. I'm looking at that and I'm drawn to that, but I don't know. That's that's could be could not mean good things for me. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think is the like criteria? This might be telling of your your intimate life as well, but what's the criteria when you're looking for a poem to date? You know, it, the poem would have to, um, I think we'd have to have a lot in common, you know, um, you know, we have to get along well, maybe we have a good, good back and forth, some good banter. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, that's, a, that's a tough question. Sort sort of an in the moment kind of thing, I imagine. <laughs> for sure, for sure. When I, to be fair, when I was uh, given that question at the end of the last episode, I was absolutely blown away and I've been trying for the past... <laughs> I don't know, we can have two weeks to figure out what book I would date or what poem I would date. And I just can't come up with an answer. I'm still looking. So if you've got a poem out there, it sounds like Cole and I both are eligible poem bachelors. So <laughs> we're, we're ready to go. Uh, we'll, we'll give them a read. Um, but yeah, let's, let's jump back to um, a fine collection. Maybe one of the poems or not a poem, but a piece I would date would be the one I mentioned kate black's um piece in this collection but um there's such a a vast range in here i guess i'm wondering kind of one of the things that i have talked to a number of editors about when they've put together anthologies has been kind of the order of the pieces that they've put into the anthology 
what kind of were you thinking about like I know you mentioned the vibe and the vibe is very important um were you kind of thinking through that as you were putting these in a specific order like seeing how these pieces would speak to each other or was it more just like oh I got this one first let's put it first um there was some more sort of formal frameworks around it I wanted to to have poetry and then whether it was like a fiction or a nonfiction piece, break up the poetry for a bit. Um, so there was some pacing uh, ideas that went into that as well. And then sometimes it's just like, oh, these pieces just look good together on the page as well. So it was kind of a, a, a mishmash of inspiration on that front. Right, right. Um Again, I'm just jumping all over the place here, but I've got my little list of questions. And this is my next one that I think is actually important. And maybe one of the things I'm most interested in talking to you about today is, um, you know, when I first came to Vancouver, I reached out to a few people who were organizing events and organizing readings and who were writers as well, and just tried to get an idea of how I could get involved in the community. Um, And so I'm just kind of wondering if anybody's listening right now, whether they're in Vancouver or wherever they are, what kind of tips would you give somebody who's looking to kind of branch out in their artistic community? Yeah, that's that's a good question. It's a little little tricky now considering the pandemic, but once we're we're moved past that, and maybe there are other ways to do this online as well, um, is to to just go to events, whether that's tuning in on your computer right now and uh, just chatting with people in the in the little chat form at the bottom of the screen there. Uh, but it's just kind of just getting out there. Um, and if you have any questions, like like what you've done, is just emailing folks, seeing if you can meet up, pick their brain sort of thing. Um, yeah, just in my experience, it's just just put putting yourself out there in whatever capacity that means. Yeah, and I think that can be like a scary thing to do too, especially like 100%. when I first came to Vancouver, right? I It was not a new city. Like I grew up here, but I moved away for three years. And when I came back, it was definitely intimidating to kind of reach out to people. But one of the things we've talked about on this show before is kind of like, I think you'd just be surprised at how excited writers, and I suppose this would go for any creative people. um, You'd be surprised at how excited they are to talk to somebody who's excited about their work. Um, and kind of reaching out to people, whether it be like right now it's tough, maybe you can zoom someone or have like a back and forth on Twitter or something, Mm -hmm. Uh, but reaching out to people and kind of like putting yourself out there seems like the biggest thing, but yeah, it can be scary. What, like, do you have any advice for overcoming that, that kind of fear? I mean, you must've had something like that when you were first, um, organizing your show as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think just to relate it back to fine, I sort of forced myself into a position where I had to do the show because I'd reached out to the Lido and asked if I could do a thing. And they're like, okay, well, here's the date. And I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> now I have to do it. <laughs> um, so I guess it just depends on what uh, a person's level of uh, comfortable comfortability is. Um, and whether like setting a, an arbitrary deadline or something like that is works for them. Um, Cause that, that's, that's how I did essentially. So I just put myself in a position where I had, had to act. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things too, is like, I think the community here in Vancouver is maybe, I don't know if it's different from other places. I, when I was first trying to be a writer, I quickly moved to Vancouver. And so this is kind of the only place I've known to kind of come up in. Um, I'm wondering though, like, 
as I as I'm reading through kind of the table of contents for this collection, it reads kind of like a list of people from Vancouver whose work I really admire. And I'm wondering if you are able to, I mean, this is a tricky question, but is it possible to figure out like, is there something different about Vancouver in terms of like reaching out to people or the artistic style or the community focus? I mean, I feel like we have a really good literary scene and I don't know much about the music or comedy scene in Vancouver. Um, but the writing and stuff, it seems like people are, are really open. Um, was that kind of your experience when you started reaching out to people or was there some resistance there? Uh, I don't, from my recollection, I don't think I, I met much resistance. People were open to the idea. Um, and I think that's when I first started inviting people to be on the show, I had a, a pretty thorough breakdown of what the show was going to be itself because, you know, for a show that isn't in existence yet, you have to be able to convince someone that is a, a worthy endeavor to be a part of. Um, so when it, when it comes to that, I just, you know, came, came a little prepared on that front, but, and also just generally, whether it's reaching out to people or going to, to different events and talking to people, people have, you know, in my experience have been, been quite open here, which is, which has been nice open and then also supportive. Yeah, for sure. Are you from Vancouver originally? No, I am originally from Northern Alberta, Lac-Labiche, Alberta. Um, Yeah. By way of the Kootenays for a few years. Cool. So when you first moved here, was that like around when you started fine or were you here for like quite a while before? No, I I had been in Vancouver for about seven or so years. Okay. And, and were you like, before you started up this show and, you know, came to a point now where you're actually publishing collections, which is so cool. Um, before you started all of that, were you writing yourself or, uh, working on things creatively? Like, how did you kind of get started? Oh yeah. I mean, I've been writing since I was, since I was a kid and then, um, you know, went, uh, went through the writer studio at SFU back in, I think that was 2011, met some really awesome folks there, like Leanne Dunick and, uh, Jen Curran, who was my mentor at the time. Um, yeah. And I just kind of kept at it, you know, did little things like I, I've been skateboarding for the majority of my life. So it would start like a, I started a little skateboarding blog and I would write about that. And that sort of eventually led into some other gigs. And I've uh, like, I work as a, as a copywriter at the moment. It's my day okay. job. So I've just been, just kind of been writing in some capacity for, I think like the majority of my life now. Wow. Okay. If that, answers, cool. the, so if that answers the question. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's kind of where I was going was just trying to get an idea of kind of how you started out and, uh, you know, how things kind of evolved to bring you to this point of now editing a collection. But um, what do you think, speaking of the collection, uh, was like, what were some of the hurdles you kind of had to jump over when you were when you were publishing? Um, it, it takes to put together a collection involved. I can't remember. I think there's maybe 30 some people in the book. It's a lot of emailing. It's a lot of coordination on that front. So I had to have all my Google Google spreadsheets at the ready and updated <laughs> uh, to to the T. Um, and beyond that, I, the biggest hurdles maybe I, I was nervous about editing it. Um, and thankfully, I had had some very kind folks who also gave it a read over. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, it's, it felt like, and I think it is a big responsibility to handle so many talented people's works. Um, so that was something that weighed on me quite a bit, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, but like it was a generally really enjoyable process that I was able to enjoy more once the book was printed and out. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, you probably spent a lot of time with the poems and stories and um, all of the pieces that are involved in this too. Did any of them kind of like take on a new meaning as you were editing? Um, I mean, one that sticks out for me is Michael Christie's piece, um, which he'd read at a fine years ago, I think back in 2017. Um, and it hadn't been published anywhere else. And um, that one felt really neat to have in the book itself because it sort of traced back through the history of the show and now is in the book. Um, so that, I think maybe on that level, um, was neat to work with. And then, yeah, just staring at these pieces for hours on end. Um, yeah, you grow, you develop a familiarity with them, which is which is a pretty neat thing to, to do with someone else's work to that degree. Cause usually I'm just staring at my Google docs and backspacing and <laughs> putting in yeah. M dashes where they don't need to be. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, Michael Christie's story in here is one of my favorites as well. It's one that I have flagged in my copy that I'm holding here. Um, very kind of funny and touching um, story. I really, really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I can only imagine, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time, um, with other people's work in any sort of, I, I don't know, professional or editing capacity. Like it's not really a part of anything that I do. Um, but I do spend a lot of time listening to people read on this show and I spend a lot of time talking to them about their work and I can understand in a way, um, kind of the, uh, I guess like the feeling, the the pressure that there is when you're holding on to somebody else's work and and you have the chance to kind of frame how it's presented um, can, I can only imagine, be quite a bit to deal with. Yeah. And I think that also reveals my, my, uh, how, how much of a, a noob I am when it comes to, to editing in, <laughs> in this, in this regard. Um, and I think, you know, as put out more collections and put out more work from fine press, it, uh, it won't be as daunting as an exercise. Um, yeah, but it, it, it was interesting. It was like I was, um, you know, the, the old relay relay challenge where you have, you have the egg and the spoon. Right. Right. <laughs> like I gotta, I gotta get this egg and the spoon all the way to the printers. Can I do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And, uh, were you working on like a timeline as well? Uh, well, thankfully I, this is a project that I've created the schedule for. So if I needed to bump back dates, it wasn't a big deal. So right. uh, I, ha I had arbitrary dates. I wanted to get it out before uh, the holiday season and thankfully got it out, I think, two weeks before. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's impressive to be able to put uh, anything together and publish it in that amount of time, because I imagine you probably started right around the beginning of the pandemic, which is like, I don't know, what is that, like seven months or so that you would have been working on this? Something like that, yeah. 
yeah, that's that's a crazy quick turnaround for a collection, especially with so many people involved. I can only imagine the, yeah, like you said, the amount of spreadsheets and emails that went into uh, the copy you can pick up probably from your local independent bookstore that's um, right. or, or from or from your website or whatever, which will all be down below the episode uh, for listeners. Um, speaking of listening and listening to things, we're about halfway through. So I am going to throw us now to our second reading. This is another recorded reading from uh, an author in the collection um, that I'm very excited about. It's a very fun reading. I won't spoil it too much, um, but I do really, really, really like this this poem. It's one that I had uh, flagged. It is called Hey Empath, and it's by Ivana Baranova. So here we are listening to that. Hey, empath, shut up. It's a perfect song. The Home Depot parking lot at sunset. My heart may lose, but I'll never go home. I get the melting candle feeling. Can't go back, not willing to be delivered from frivolous use. Throat chakra violence or worse. Shut up. Stand still, or the moment will eclipse you. A schedule would make me time's own guillotine. When I'm outside your house, I feel prayer on my hands. The start of a lonely secret. What even is a promise ring? I once dated a bag of chips. Full circle to worship nothing. The power of a limited edition. And we're back. Uh, <laughs> another fun pause. I hope you enjoyed that mu- that one as much as the first, Cole. Better than uh, the last. Yeah, they just they just keep coming. They just keep getting better. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, you've, you've had a chance to do some editing now with this collection. Um, and obviously you've been writing yourself for, for quite a while. Um, and I, I believe you write not just poetry, but, but other forms as well. Correct. Yeah. 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 So what are, um, what are kind of some of the things that you look for in a piece, uh, whether it be a poem or a piece of fiction or nonfiction or an essay, what are some of the things that you really enjoy or look for as a reader? For myself, um, like I, I also write a lot of personal essays, um, so I think a thing that I look for and then I, I believe I also try to do my own work is, oh man, this is going to sound corny, but I really like trying to tap into that, into that human element, whether that comes from, um, personal details from someone's life or even just the smaller details of, um, the quirks of a, of a small town. Um, I just like the getting carried away in someone's story by, by the, a personal reveal. And that is a very general kind of hokey statement, but I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's there. Like I, I didn't grow up in a small town. I grew up here, but I can imagine, you know, anything that kind of speaks to, um, the area that I grew up, I'm like a sucker for, it could be horrible writing and I'll read it, uh, over and over and over again. And I think also the idea of like that personal reveal and like looking for something um, really, I guess, intimate and, and important to the writer 
comes through uh, for me as a reader. And it comes through in this collection as well. Like we mentioned the Michael Christie um, piece that's in here, which is awesome. I'll probably say that like three or four times before we finish recording um, because it is truly a favorite of mine. Um, but also so many of the the poems as well. And uh, you will have as a listener heard two or three of them by the time we're done here. Um, and I, I think there's something so crazy to me. I think this is one of the things that scared me most when I was starting to write. And I've had a couple of chances to read in the past couple of years, um, my own writing as well, is just how vulnerable artists and writers um, and musicians and any creator really has to be when sharing their work. Um, I think that's something I didn't account for when I started writing. Um, have you Have you had this experience where like, I've talked before on this show about how writing can be very isolating and you forget that there are people who read the things you write um, sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I get that anyway. And I find myself writing very revealing um, things that like I wouldn't just tell somebody on the street, but somebody on the street can pick up a copy of whatever <laughs> I put out, you know? And, and so one of the things that um, blew my mind when I was reading this collection and um, never fails to um, kind of blow me away when I'm, watching people read their work is just how vulnerable they are. Um, how do you kind of grapple with that? Because I know some of your personal essays have been quite, uh, like the ones that I've read have been quite, um, well, personal. Um, so how how do you kind of will yourself to write about these things and, and share them? Yeah, I, for me, I think the, the sort of tool that I use to allow myself to kind of whatever, bear, bear, some personal histories. I, I try to employ humor a lot of the time. Um, I also dislike making uh, stupid jokes, so that that works well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I also think humor is um, an easy way to to enter and exit and to to highlight different subject matter uh, if done done tactfully. That is, um, and it's one of the reasons you know, big big fan of. of uh, stand up. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that allows me to do that for the most part. Um, and I've, I've tried to like, even recently, like I, you know, along with everyone else on the internet started a little sub stack thing. So I've been toying, toying around with, um, different styles of essay and I tried to work on pieces that are not so, um, humor based and it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that I find myself recently like very concerned with too. And I mean, you, you talk there too about like starting to write some essays and obviously we've talked about how, um, you know, you've written across a number of styles. One of the things too, is that like, I find for me, and I'm curious to know what you think about this, but for me, poetry, which is all I write, but for me, poetry seems to be a very, very vulnerable form of, of sharing ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything like that? Like, I guess what I'm wondering is how you know a piece is an essay, how you know a piece is a poem, that sort of thing. If you're if you're writing in, you know, so many different styles, what's kind of the criteria for you? I mean, for for myself, like I've I've had some pieces that I just thought were, or some ideas that I thought were just tailor-made for an essay. And I've 
for years have been toying around with them. And then I think it was maybe last year I was working on putting some poems together and I just started, um, I just went back through some notes for that essay that I thought uh, would be great, but I could never figure out. And then I just took those kind of bullet points and then turned those into a poem. And that's, I feel, has been the best way to sort of examine um, that moment in my life was through a poem. And so I don't know whether it's, I just don't have the, the tools to do that in a essay form or just poetry was the medium for it. But I mean, for myself, I, it's just, kind of fluid it is sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't sometimes poetry is is the route to go for myself yeah and i i think like the idea to i think poetry specifically the experience that you've just described of trying to write an essay and i mean i've i've done the exact same thing so many times but where you try to write an essay and then you end up with like an outline or like some bullet points or just have you know note on your notes app or whatever um, and that ends up becoming, you know, the main set of lines in a poem. Um, I think it makes sense in a way, because when you're reading a poem, you're not just reading the poem, you're also actively digging through it and trying to get as much out of it as you can. And I think in an essay form, you have space to say those things that get dug up in a poem. Yeah, I don't know if this is a useful thought, but that's that's how I feel about this sort of thing. And it, it's like, uh, what you've just described is, in a way, my pro- my process in writing a poem is like, um, you know, I'm going to jot down a few notes and try to fit into a different form, and it almost never comes out as a different form. Um, maybe because I'm so used to writing poetry, but maybe because that's just how good poems are written. Not to say my poems are good, but, um, you know, I, th- I think there's something there about kind of like length and uh, compactness in, in poetry um, that, that you maybe don't get in other forms. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in that poem I was referencing, uh, a moment ago, like that, just the content of it, it, like it always felt like kind of radioactive and maybe I was like trying to bury it in, (laughs) in an essay. (laughs) So it wasn't so toxic. (laughs) Um, but once I was able to, to put in the poem form that, uh, I feel worked, um, it was pretty cathartic really. Um, maybe that was just uh, too much exposure to the radiation and wow, I am really burying this, just driving <laughs> this metaphor into the ground. <laughs> no, but I, I think there's something there too. It's like, and, and this is the thing is I, I think this is the case for a lot of people. Actually, my last guess, um, you wouldn't know this because the episode's not out yet, but, uh, was Manahil, uh, Kuala, who is an awesome poet, um, based out of Mississauga. And she and I were talking about different kind of forms of publishing and sharing work. Um, And this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently too, is like a lot of the poems that, uh, that I write at least don't go anywhere. Um, But the experience of writing them, I feel is necessary. Like you, you use the word cathartic. And I think that's the perfect word for what writing can be in its best scenario um, is, is to be relieving in that way. Um, even if the poem doesn't go anywhere, but then sometimes it does. And you have that whole anxiety that I was talking about, or I shouldn't say you have that whole anxiety. I have that anxiety of, well, I've just written this extremely personal thing and yeah, it felt good to write, but are other people actually going to like that? Yeah. You know, 
I, it scares me. I, this is this is more of a therapy session than a question. I'm sorry, but this, no, no, <laughs> this, this is, is great. We're gonna, we're gonna work through this. <laughs> oh, thank you. You'd be a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I uh, I feel that. Um, actually, kind of uh, come at it from a bit of a, an opposite angle. Where for years. I was just like publishing stuff to whatever was my skateboard blog, or I had like an Instagram account that was like illustrated flash fiction that I'd put out. So I was just like constantly putting out work into uh, the ether. And um, some of the stuff was personal. Some of it was challenging for me to put out, but I just kind of put it out there and you know, whatever happened, happened. Um, which means that I have a lot of crap writing out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, that's, that's part of that process. Um, Yeah. But I, yeah, I still, I still feel that where if there's a piece that I'm lucky enough to have published somewhere and it contains some subject matter, or I try to broach a a topic that I am nervous about people reading and, how they, you know, interpret my interpretation sort of thing. Yeah, that anxiety is definitely still there for sure. No matter how many blog posts I've made in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that'll be there for, I mean, a lot of people as as they continue to write. I say a lot of people, again, I, I truly mean myself as somebody with a lot of anxiety. I think that'll be there for a while. And that's something that I'll just grapple with. But the more I talk to people about their poetry specifically and about writing in general, um, I come to understand that nobody's at ease with the thought. I don't think that their writing is just being read by a bunch of people. If it is, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people are reading my stuff, but the people that do scare the hell out of me. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like they could judge whatever I write in, in different ways. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um We've gone completely off the rails in terms of talking about a fine collection volume. Oh, no, no, this is Uh, great. I'm actually going to interrupt you because back there was the perfect time to plug your new chat book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Go out, check out Do Not Discard Ashes. You can get it. Links probably below or something. Um, But yes, um, I I do have a chat book, but I am more interested in talking about your collection. Um, I have a bunch more questions, Cole, but unfortunately, we are running out of time, which means I need a question from you for my next episode's guest. What sort of work would you like to see coming out of whatever it is, small press, bigger presses, uh, whether that's genre or however you see it that you don't think is represented enough of? What would you like to see? Wow, I'm. This is a really well articulated question. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to reframe it here. What work do you not think is being represented enough in publishing? Whether that is uh, sort sort of uh, a genre take, or I don't know. That's where I'm just going to leave it because that's the best I have. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's a good question. And hey, you're part of this publishing world now. Um, so it's going to be interesting when I do this mean thing that I do in every episode and turn the question around on you. Yeah. Um, so oh, Cole, I forgot about this part. Jeez. Yeah. So, <laughs> so cool. Um, what work do you think, uh, needs to be represented more? Um, well, <laughs> just selfishly, um, 
um, I just, I've, as I've mentioned before, I've been a skateboarder for the majority of my life and there are some really good skateboarding slash sports writing out there. Um, and there's some good stuff forthcoming, but there's not a lot of like in-depth or personal stories um, that focus on skateboarding and skateboard culture. Um, so that that's what I would like to see. And that's um, what I, one of the projects I would like to do with Fine Press. So now I've turned this into promotion for myself. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, no. I love, I love getting the plugs in there. It's very important. <laughs> and we're almost at the end of the episode, which is like when podcasts do the plug section. So, That's right. you know, it's perfectly timed. You're, you're right <laughs> up there. Um, all the links are below though, guys, for, for anybody who's listening, um, to go and check out everything that Cole has been up to. Um, before we leave, I'll mention that I'm going to just put in the reading of Dallas Hunt's poem at the end of um, this episode. So before we jump into that reading and call it a day, Cole, I just wanted to thank you for your time. Um, it's really, really nice to catch up with you again. I can't believe it's been two years since I probably last saw you, um, yeah. if not at a fine event, um, which I'm sure I have since then. Um, but uh, it's really, really nice to see that you are, um, you know, giving a venue for Vancouver writers and probably I imagine writers who have moved out of Vancouver by now too, um, to share their work um, and creating that space is really important. So thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Your show is doing uh, sort of a, a similar thing, giving space to, to writers work and it's, yeah, I like it. I like you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank um, you. That's it. I got nothing else to plug. Um, I watched Minding the Gap the other day. That was good. I'm just going to cool. plug, plug random things now. Um, <laughs> Go check out Minding the Gap. Sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. I went to uh, a new Indian restaurant the other day. That was great. Sure. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. This is a poor plug. What else we got here? The Raptors. I think they just won against the Mavericks. That's good. Unplugged, Did they win today? The yeah, I think so. Oh, man. That's good news because it's been tough so far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 all right cool well go check out the raptors check out indian food in your neighborhood and, uh, <laughs> watch minding the gap sounds like a lovely evening cole thanks so much for coming on the show um let's throw it now to dallas hunt reading his poem um and then i'll do a little outro at the end but thanks again cole thank you so this is called thoughts indoors during canada day and COVID 19 and it's a list poem apologies number one the dollar store down the street in Kitsilano sells uh, $0.98 cents Avalon shells with maple leaf stickered all over them. Heal me. Number two, I don't want to be cremated. Just place my corpse in Fort Edmonton Park so some unsuspecting settler can find me and I can ruin their day. Number three, fireworks are explosions. They disrupt networks of kin, hurt birds, and perforate my dog's eardrums. Number four, settler colonialism. See, the crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. Number five, a thing I'm rationally afraid of, the raised voice of an entitled white man. Number six, generational hurts are also fireworks. They paint an endless black expanse, bleed against a backdrop before fading into it. Their graffiti pain. Number seven, occupation, a horse whisper, an accusation unevenly distributed, and yet truth nonetheless, a faculty lunch conversation best avoided. Number eight, I'll eat stovetop stuffing every day of the year until sodium fills my lungs and my heart implodes before I celebrate Thanksgiving earnestly. Number nine, effective coherence. See Canada, see a Globe and Mail comments section, see life is deferral 
and survival with an open invitation towards death. Number 10, my white, gra uh, my white grandfather lived and settled on the lands my great-grandfather gave up so his daughter wouldn't have to attend residential school. Number 11, Sir Johnny MacDonald was a drunken white supremacist, something I'll scream into the soft arches of your feet as they press into my temple. Number 12, a niece of mine was born so premature that my mother described her as being so small that you could fit her in, fit her in your hand like a pound of butter. So there you have it. That was me chatting with Cole Nowicki about a fine collection. Uh, you can get this at your local, preferably independent bookstore. I really, really, really like this collection. I thought it was incredibly well edited. The work in it is, and I'm not just saying this because I'm biased because I know some of the people that are in this collection, but the work in it is truly uh, really, really cool. It's just a good read. I read it in, I think, a sitting, maybe two. Uh, I reread it for sure in a sitting, and I, I just really liked it. So uh, if you're going to get something... That I've plugged on the show. I think this might be a really good thing to get because it is interdisciplinary. It includes work by a lot of the people that I've interviewed before, especially if you're in Vancouver and you want to get a feel of what the scene's like, or if you're not in Vancouver and you want to get a feel for what the artistic scene is like here. Um, Fine is a great barometer for that. I think it's truly one of the coolest things that you can go to and now read as well. Um, that's enough talking about that. You might be tired of it as a listener by now, um, but I just wanted to say a quick thank you again to Cole for his time um, and remind you that if you like the show, we can make this official. It's super easy. All you have to do is subscribe to the show. You can do that wherever you listen. Um, I really enjoy doing this show, and it helps that people are listening. I think I'd do it even if nobody did. But the fact that you are listening means you are also able to leave a review. And if you do, maybe more people will come and listen and find out about the works of the people I'm featuring on this show. The goal, of course, being to grow this space and allow it to be a space for people to create and share what they've created. Um, and building a community around that is really important. So thank you if you have shared uh, the show or reviewed the show in any way. I really appreciate that. Um, if you want to listen to old episodes of the show as well, uh, you can go through, well, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, they'll be available, but also anchor.fm slash pagefright, that's anchor.fm slash pagefright, all of the old episodes are hosted there, that's how I post the show, so uh, worth going through and checking out. But that's it for this episode, I will be back in two weeks on the 17th of February uh, with a very cool guest for episode 49, and I'm hoping to do something fun and interesting for episode 50 as well. So uh, lots to look forward to right now. Thanks again for listening. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench, and this right here, this has been Page Fright. <laughs>